We are uh, finishing up our series called UNITY. We're talking about unity. How to live with unity with others, how to live having unity within yourself um, so that we can live in the power that God wants you to live in. Because unity is a prerequisite to power. If you want God to empower your life, you need to understand this concept of unity. So we've been talking about it, and um, today I got, a, I got a special one to close it up. Uh, and I'm really excited about the next series, um, but you're going to have to come back next week to find out what that is. But today we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33. This is Jesus talking. Let me give you the background on this. Jesus is teaching this because at the time, people were trying to manipulate the truth by swearing and taking oaths on certain things, okay? So he's addressing this, and listen to what Jesus says. He goes, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, he said, look, I'm gonna put something on it. Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black or bald. Yes, I put that in there. Listen, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Just let it be yes or no. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful uh, for our church. I'm grateful, Lord, for those who are here. I'm grateful for our first-time guests. I pray that you make them feel welcomed, um, and anything less is not of you. Um, let them know that they don't have to act a certain way or be a certain way to be accepted by you, God, therefore accepted by us. And Lord, I pray that this word today just challenges us. I'm going to put it out there, God. And I pray that you just uh, fertile the soil and let the seed grow so that they can be fruit in their lives and give you glory, God. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, loud and proud, in unity, say this. Say, I'm here. I'm, here. I'm, ready. I'm ready. Draw me closer. Make me better. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. You may be seated. Tell the person next to you, you better stay ready. It's one thing to say, I am ready. You got to stay ready. So I've been trying to be cute. I've been trying to be cute. And the last five weeks, I've been taking this acronym, UNITY. And so the first week was about you. And next week was N and I and T. Tonight, today, tonight, today, it's Y. Today, I want to talk about your yes. Your yes is important when it comes to unity. Let me say that again. Your yes is important when it comes to unity, when it comes to family, when it comes to your workplace, when it comes to being on a team. Your yes is important. And I want you to write this down. This is our anchor point for this morning. True community requires commitment. True community. I'm not talking about that fake stuff. I'm talking about the real community. If you want to be on real team, I have to trust that your yes is your yes. And many of us today, we've given God our yes. We've given people our yes. We've given our family our yes. And in order to really, really 
live in unity, it requires this element called commitment. And commitment is tough. Can I get an amen? amen. Commitment is tough because we don't know what comes with commitment. All right? What comes with commitment is when I'm committed to something, it requires something of you. Okay? Follow me for a second. When I'm committed to something, it requires something of you. I was just talking about this to one of our boys. Well, I didn't know, nobody told me that when I'm committed to buying a car, I didn't know that it came with paying the gas, replacing the tires, getting the wheel alignment, rotating the tires. I didn't know what rotating the tires mean. I thought they naturally did that. Right? Getting an oil change. Right? Get, keeping up. My son was like, why am I paying for registration again? Because that's just the way it is. And he's like, Dad, this is the matrix. Yeah, I hear you. But if you don't pay for registration, when you get pulled over, you're going to pay for more. I didn't know that when I said I'm committed to something, it requires something of you. I didn't know that when I said I'm committed to this marriage, that I had to occasionally and consistently rub her feet. I didn't know. I didn't know that. But now that I'm committed, it's a requirement. Y'all pick up what I'm laying down. She's nodding her head really, really hard. And some of y'all doing the same. I didn't know that when I'm committed to having children, I didn't know that I had to actually stay committed to, with them throughout their whole life. I thought the assignment was done at 18. Anybody else thought that? I thought, <laughs> thought the assignment was over at 18. It's not. I didn't know that, but I'm committed to it. I'm committed, I'm committed to being a pastor. I answered the call to be a pastor. And I, and I, I, I love that dream of, of leading people and growing people, but I didn't know, I didn't know that to be committed to be a pastor, it has to deal with sometimes dealing with the foolishness. I said it. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that with every commitment comes responsibility. I didn't know. And I wish... See, I didn't have that moment, you know, some of you who've been to church for a while, when you give your life to Jesus, you know, when they say, I found Jesus, you know, um, which is crazy because he found me more than anything, you know. You ever watch, uh, what's, the, what's the movie um, with Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump, when he's like, have you found Jesus? He says, I didn't know I had to look for him, one of my favorite lines ever. But I didn't have that moment where you raise your hand and you, you do this thing called you pray the sinner's prayer. I didn't have that moment. Uh, my, my life was, was that my baseball coach, I believe he discipled me into the kingdom. I, I came to him uh, constantly cussing and constantly angry with a chip on my shoulder trying to prove to the world that I'm worthy of something, thinking I'm, I'm this and thinking I'm that. But he just loved me into the kingdom. I, I can't tell you my spiritual birthday. All I know is that eventually I found myself being adopted into this family of God. So I didn't have that moment. But no one talked to me about, hey, when you're committed to Christ, there are requirements. The beauty is salvation is free. But this thing, this walk costs 
something. It requires something of you to maintain and to steward. With every commitment comes responsibility. Y'all pick up what I'm laying down. And so that we're all together, I, I, commitment, I believe, is, is defined this way. It's your integrity plus perseverance plus obedience. That's what commitment is. It's your integrity. What's integrity? Integrity is who you are when no one's looking. Okay? I believe that's where true commitment is developed. It's not when you openly sit here and you sing with your pretty church shoes on and say, yes, yes, Lord, I follow you. Yes, Lord, I'll sing to you. It's who are you when no one's looking but God? That's where your commitments are, are really forged. It's your integrity. The word, I love the word integrity. My buddy started a business called integer and it comes from the word integer. And the word integer means a whole number. It means wholeness. Maybe some of you, if you don't feel whole, it's because you're divided within yourself. And you need to work out your integrity more than anything else. So commitment is found through integrity. And not only integrity, perseverance. When it gets hard, when it gets hard, do you have the I'm a keep going mentality? Because what's in front of you is more important than what's happening to you. Okay, that perseverance. So, so when I'm looking at my commitments to, to my boys, or I'm looking at my commitment to my wife, looking at my commitment to my church, there are times where I don't feel it. There are times where I have 50,000 excuses not to maintain my responsibility, but through perseverance, through perseverance, I could continue keeping on going, right? And then obedience, obedience to, to do what's required of you. And at times I can't make it conditional, I can't make it optional, I have to be obedient. Is your commitment, are your commitments optional or do you have to be obedient to them? Because the minute you make them optional, they're no longer commitments. They're no longer commitments. And what I'm telling you right now is all scripture. Proverbs 10.9, when you talk about this integrity, but the Bible says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. All right? It will surface up. I promise you. I tried the hiding thing. It doesn't work. And the only person you're lying to is yourself. So that, that integrity piece is important. The perseverance is important. Romans 5, 3 to 4 says this. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. But watch this. Perseverance, character. And what does character produce? Hope. But it starts off, that snowball starts with perseverance. Can you keep on going in the face of conflict? Can you hold on to your commitments even when it's not easy? I wish someone told me, I wish someone like tried to, even before getting married or having kids, like someone should have tried to scare me away from those things. You know, it's going to be hard. We focus so much on the honeymoon. We focus so much on the wedding day. How about the wedding life? Right? It's about the life more important than the wedding day. You spend months, months 
planning the wedding day, but then decide to live the wedding life by default. For those of you who are engaged right now, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry. All right? So, so it's, it's this perseverance that makes it happen. You know, when it talks about being obedient, I love this, John 14, 15. Jesus said this, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Now, stop. He loves you regardless. Your level of obedience, listen to me, your level of obedience does not increase the level of his love for you. I need more amens to that. Your level of obedience, some of y'all think it does. Oh, he loves me today. <laughs> right? Ooh, I got that parking spot. He loves me today. I knew I should have done my devotions today. Right? Your level of obedience does not increase his love. However, your level of obedience increased the display of your love. Okay? So he says, if you love me, then you keep my hands. Another one's Romans 6, 16 says this. Do you not know when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves? Isn't that crazy? We talk about freedom, freedom, freedom. And here Paul's telling this Roman church that we're, we're also to, be, to put on this identity of obedient slaves. You are slaves of the one you obey. Isn't that crazy? You are slave to the one you obey. Do you obey your algorithm on TikTok or Instagram more than the will of God? You are enslaved to the one you obey. I'm gonna make Pastor Ashley happy. Do you obey the NFL schedule more than your, your, your church schedule? Come on, somebody. It reveals what's an idol in your life because listen, you're enslaved to that which you obey. And listen to me, you are, you, we are all wired to obey something, whether it's something, yourself, or someone. So where are you directing your obedience today? It's not, are you obedient at all? No, it's innate. It's, it's inside every human being. You're going to be obedient to something. I would actually say this. We were created to worship. You are going to worship something. Some of you think like, even if, if you don't believe in God, I don't worship anything. No, 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 no. You worship something. You worship logic. You worship money. You worship yourself. That's how we're designed. Whatever you focus on, whatever robs you of and distracts you from life, that is the thing that you worship. That is the thing that you worship. So what you obey, I'm, I'm just preaching scripture. Don't let it mess up your life. But what you obey, you're enslaved to. And then he says, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads you to righteousness. Hello? What are you, what, where is your obedience directed to? That's an important question if we're going to get this element of unity down. Y'all picking up what I'm laying down this morning? It's important. You, you were made to worship. How trustworthy is your yes? Stop, stop. I can, I can, make, you, I can make you feel good, I can make you laugh, I can, but let's answer that question. How trustworthy is your yes? How, are, are we just, are we actually playing church or are we being the church? 
How trustworthy is your yes? Do you really say and mean the things that you say? Or you just say it because you're, you, you think it meets the expectations of those who are listening? Big question. How would your parents, spouses, parents, how would your kids rate your yes? My wife, when my wife says yes, she means yes. When my husband says yes, he means yes. When my kids say yes, they mean yes. When my parents, when my mom and dad say yes, they mean yes. How would they rate your yes? I think it's important because, like, honestly, our lack of commitment is contagious and cancerous. But here, I know that sounds bad. <laughs> Some of you are like, damn. But the opposite side is true. Big things happen when you respect your commitments more than your feelings. Can I excite you a little bit? If you can get to the place in your life where, where you respect your commitments more than your feelings, big things happen. I'm committed to my health. I, I'm gonna respect that more than my feelings. I don't feel like going to the gym today. What I feel like doing is eating those fries. That's what I feel like doing. Best fries, Chick-fil-A fries, of course. Don't question that. But big things happen when you respect your commitments more than your feelings. And some of us, we need to mature in this area too. Because maybe right now you're feeling, I got you, Pastor Mike, I'm good. I feel really committed right now. Why are you committed? Are you committed by choice or are you committed by crisis? Because immature people need crisis to be committed. Immature people need the doctor to tell you that your blood pressure is high or your cholesterol is high. Immature people need their spouse to say, hey, I'm thinking about leaving before you start being romantic. Immature people need crisis in order to be committed. Mature people understand their choice to maintain their commitments. You don't gotta say amen, that was dope right there. No, 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 I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. I want you to get to the place in your life where you have no regrets. And the way you have no regrets is that when you have clear convictions and consistent commitments, write that down. I think a life of no regrets when you have clear convictions Inside your heart, you know what's right, you know what's wrong, and you follow your convictions. A life with no regrets is clear convictions and consistent commitments. You're consistent in your commitments. Because I want you to live out your purpose. And all of this to say, you know, we, uh, my wife and I, we work for this other uh, organization called Peak, Peak Profile, and it helps assess churches all across the nation. And... Uh, Pray for my wife. She's going to Las Vegas tomorrow um, for a job, uh, job trip. And so, um, yeah, just pray for me. Forget her. Pray for me <laughs> as she's gone. Um, but in peak right now, what we're doing is that we're actually secretly, secret, not secret, <laughs> we're secretly working on a personal coaching system 
So we, we learned how to coach organizations. Now we want to bring that organizational coaching on the personal side, individual, people to people. And um, one of the segments, one of the coaching sessions what we're currently working on right now is a section on purpose. What is your purpose in life? And as I was praying for this, and we have a lot of collaborators working on it, I struggled for a second because um, I grew up in the 90s, and that's when like books like Purpose Driven Life came out. Shout out Rick Warren, you know? And everything was about purpose and everything was about destiny, right? You got a destiny and, and we were all hyped up about destiny and purpose and this and that. And, 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 but it was, it was great if you thought you knew your purpose, but it wasn't so great if you didn't know your purpose. Season in my life, I didn't know what I was called to do. I wanted to be a doctor. My mom could tell you I wanted to go to medical school. I wanted to be a physical therapist. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. But then all of a sudden, I felt this stirring in my heart to make a big impact with a less significant paycheck. And that's <laughs> why so I said, oh. <laughs> but I felt that stirring and, and I was conflicted. I was like, I don't know my purpose. And in this process, what I proposed is this. Maybe people shouldn't really focus too much on their purpose because sometimes, believe it or not, your purpose will change. Right? From season to season, your purpose will change. Um, it, unfortunately, not all the time where you just have a clear, this is what you need to do for the rest of your life. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. So instead of focusing on purpose, I was like, let's, let's, let's help people focus on their posture towards life. So what if, it, what if they focused on their, their posture and what if they focus on their perseverance and then by default, I, I bet they will find their purpose and answer the call. And the reason why things like perseverance and your posture towards life are way more important than, than purpose is because even if God gives you a call, if he's calling you into something, the calling doesn't matter if you're not gonna give him your complete yes. Some of you are like, give me my calling, give me my calling. And I bet, I don't know, I don't have exact biblical verses, but I, if I was God, I'd be like, um, I know what you're, you're gonna tell me yes, but I'm not gonna get your whole yes. You, you want me, you think that once I call you, it's optional, which is cute. Because I am God the creator. I am Lord. I was here before you and I'll be here way after you. And it's cute that you think that I'm gonna tell you this calling and you're gonna be like, let me get back to you on that. Right? God, just tell me, tell me my purpose, tell me my calling. Better yet, why not work on your yes? So then when you do get the calling, you're obedient. And you know what's helpful on this? Oh man, I'm probably going way too long on this point, but I think this is really important. I'm just obedient to love the church. And there are days where I feel like I fail, right? But if I'm judging my success based on response, if I'm judging my success based on my bank account or our bank account, if I'm judging my success, I'm constantly failing, right? But if I truly have given my God my yes, and I'm answering the call to love your people, then I never really fail if I continue to love, right? And some of us, we measure success 
based on the things that you could measure. <laughs> but what if we measured success based on your yes, not the circumstances? That's, that's a game changer, folks. God, I'm still giving you my yes. I'm still right here. My world's crumbling, but you still have my yes. And God will still say, well done, my good and faithful servant at the end of your life. Your success is found in your yes. Not figuring it out, not being in control. Your success is found in your yes. So through the ups and downs, you are still committed. Y'all pick up what I'm laying down. So I spent way too long on that, but I think it's really, really important. So very quickly, I got 18 points and then I'll let you go. I wanna talk about your, your commitment to Christ and your commitment to the church, okay? So even if you haven't said yes yet, I wanna just clearly identify when we are said we're committed to Christ, this is what this means. Number one, you're committed to worship and fellowship. That's the wrong one up there. That's all good. You're committed to worship and fellowship. I'm sorry. You're committed to repentance. I'm over here putting them on blast and it's me. I'm committed to repent and forgive of the sins. A live example, folks. The commitment to repent and forgive sins. When we say yes to Christ, we, we're constantly working on getting better. He says to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Acts, this won't be on the screen, but Acts 3.19 says this, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Right? So, so that's my commitment. We think it's one and done. But I constantly, every single day, I'm asking for forgiveness. And some of us, if you find it difficult to forgive other people, it's because you haven't asked God for forgiveness in a really long time. Hello? Because you can't dish it out if you're not taking a spoonful of it every single day. Okay? So, so this exchange needs to happen, right? We, we, it's not our whole yes if we're not repenting and offering forgiveness to others. Okay, that's what it means to be committed to Christ. Second thing, what it means to be committed to Christ is that your commitment to discipleship and following Jesus. Again, notice I didn't say your commitment to attendance, although that's essential. But your commitment to discipleship, real discipleship, doing the work and actually following Jesus. I think our followership is more important sometimes than our leadership. Our fellowship is more important than our leadership. Some of us, we like to act like leaders before ever knowing what it means to act like a follower. And I believe the best promotion happens when God promotes. And so, what does it look like for you to actually out, outgrow the level of fellowship and let God promote you to the level of leadership? I think it's really important because some people are like, I'm just going to act like a leader. I'm going to dress like a leader. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And if all honestly, if you haven't fulfilled that fellowship level yet, you're just living a lie. Yeah. You could act like a leader. You could talk like a leader. But in your heart, if you have not activated that level of fellowship, 
the foundation is faulty. It's faulty. That's why I love, I love, you know, when, when, when Elder Mike came up here and he was talking about Rob, I love, Rob came in and he served and he loved people. And God promoted him to the pastor over the Sewell location, right? That, that came from serving. I love that we have examples of people who first understand fellowship so that they can actually handle leadership. I've noticed that. Something, you think you could handle leadership when you haven't handled fellowship. I believe there's a, there's a story in the Bible where David, King David, had to serve under this horrible king named Saul before he took the throne. And you got to ask yourself the question, why did he have to spend years serving under this bad king? And I think it's because God, before God could get rid of Saul on the throne, he had to first get rid of Saul, the version of Saul, in David's heart. And the only way that comes out is to sometimes serving a bad king and serving with obedience. And that's when there was one time he had an opportunity. They had an opportunity to kill Saul. And the posture was, how dare I touch the Lord's anointed? He understood fellowship and allowed God to promote him to leadership. Come on. It's important, and I think that's our commitment to discipleship and following. Number three, our commitment to the obedience of God's will. His will for your life. So I don't know his will. His will is for you to worship him. His will is for none shall perish. I don't think... The church sometimes paints his will as this target, this little small dot that you have to hit every single day. And I don't think it's like that. I think he makes it pretty easy. Worship me, love me, love your neighbor, I'll handle the rest. I'm for real. You try to nail it down, God, should I be a doctor or should I do this? Or God, should I do And I think at the end of the day, if I learn to love him with all my heart, mind, and soul, and learn to love my neighbor as myself, it doesn't matter where you put me, I'm still obedient to his will for my life. I hope that releases some people from the pressure in the life. Number four, your commitment to sharing the gospel and making disciples. I'm gonna put it out here for a second. I know in this culture, some people are like, you can't talk about religion at work, and you can't do this, and you can't do that. I, I love you, and I hope this doesn't offend anyone. I call bull. I think it's a cop-out, honestly, because I think there are so many people that are hungry for spirituality, and you have the answer. And you do not have to be this well-educated scholar or theologian to simply love on somebody and invite them to church. Just tell them your story. What is God doing in your life? And if they ask you, like, what do you think, how do you reconcile aliens in the Bible? I don't know, but let's ask this bald dude and maybe we'll figure it out. You don't have to have the answers, right? Does it, the, the, the art of an invite goes a long way. And I'll be honest with you, the church all over the nation has stopped inviting people to church because it's not politically correct. Yet they could talk about politics Yet they could talk about the smut on TMZ. Yet they could talk about all that other stuff, but you can't talk about the hope of the world? Challenge accepted. If you're gonna be committed to Christ, if you're not committed to Christ, you're off the hook. Talk about those who say you're committed to Christ. Matthew 28 says it very clearly, therefore go 
you can, it's not just go and just be disciples. It says go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I command you. If we're going to be committed, like, just start inviting. I'm not asking you to be responsible for them showing up, right? Don't hawk time and drag them to church. We don't do that. But let's just start with the invite. Be a light. Lead. Lead. Oh, Pastor Mike, I'm not a leader. Yes, you are, because you're a follower. Be a light. Jesus lives inside. Hey, you know what? I see you've been struggling with some stuff. Can I pray for you? Cool. Yeah. I, very few people reject prayer, right? So, hey, can I pray for you? And then following, hey, listen, I would love for you to show up to you know, we have this thing called collective. If you're not comfortable with a collective, we meet during the week and we just talk about life and everything like that. But if you're not comfortable with that, how about this big old room, right? And most of the time, the temperature's okay. And, you know, you, you could be in the cut. Nobody needs to talk to you. They'll, put, they'll say hi to you. They won't hug you. They're not supposed to. But they'll be very warm and, and, and they'll greet you. Uh, but you can just come and check it out. No commitments. Why not? We're not asking them for a commitment. I'm asking you for your commitment. Real quick, five things, your commitment to community. Number one, your commitment to worship and fellowship. There it is. Your commitment to worship and fellowship. Ever since the pandemic, Everything is optional. I think it's funny, I like to watch the news a lot. <clears throat> and the company Zoom, Zoom, they like pretty much invented remote working. They are calling their employees back to the physical office and not allowing them to work remotely. Zoom, they're not smoking what they're selling. <laughs> but they're calling people back why? I think there's still something missing when you just connect with people only digitally. There's power in the room when you're unity. There's power when you meet up with someone for, at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever your poison is at the day. And there's power when you're looking somebody deep in their soul and you really ask them, how are you? And it's biblical. Hebrews 10 24 to 25 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do not forsake the gathering of the people of God, believers. It's important. I was joking that we won't hug you on your first in, but once you're in a collective, we're hugging you all day. And some of you, some of us just need a holy hug. And you can't do that via Zoom. I know I sound like an old fart right now, but like, hear me for a second. I think we're missing out on something powerful. And I think, and if I'm honest, I'm not trying to condemn you at all. I'm just trying to ask you to just put, turn it up a little bit, turn it up a little bit, turn it up a notch 
in your walk and understand that, that nationally speaking, as we're coaching churches, it's actually said this, that a member of your church only shows up 1.4 times a month. And here on a Sunday, sometimes, like I'm looking at the audience, it's a different audience every week. About 40% is the same, but about 60%, like it's, it's just different. And I wonder how much power and strength would we realize if we could tangibly sit shoulder to shoulder and worship together as a community. Do not forsake the gathering of believers, our commitment to worship and fellowship. Number two, our commitment to spiritual growth and mutual edification. We're called to edify one another. That means to build each other up. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 said this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by, by supporting ligaments grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Some of you are amazing encouragers. Some of you, um, man, some of you do have that holy hug. You ever hugged Rob? I encourage everybody today, before you leave, just hug Rob. <laughs> just hug him. Eddie, yeah, Eddie too, our, one of our security guards, Eddie. I don't know what it is with their hugs. They just, they just know how to do it. Some of y'all, you're working on it, right? But like some of y'all just really know how to hug, you know what I mean? And sometimes you need that. You, you need that edification and encouragement. And even if you're not a hugger, there are moments where you're going to need a hug. And that's what us as a community, that's what we do. We edify each other. We build each other up. Hey, old school church people, we don't tear each other down. You don't make your candle brighter by blowing out somebody else's candle. You build each other up. Quickly, number three, commitment to restoration and support. I'm so sick and tired of churches excommunicating people because they mess up. It's not our job to excommunicate anyone. It's not. So quick to cut people off. This week, I don't know if you remember, the, the, our phones went off at, on October 4th. You remember that? Everybody, our phones went off. And the Amish community out in Lancaster, they had to excommunicate all these young adults because if you know anything about Amish people, they can't have electronics or phones or anything like that. And so they didn't know that this alert was coming. So some of the young adults were hiding their phones when the alert went off. So the whole group, so our church might grow for some Amish, ex-Amish people, and we're gonna love them, and we're gonna accept them, and we're gonna let them have cell phones. Come on, somebody, amen? But it, it's our job to restore people. Listen to this verse. Listen to this verse. It's so important. Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, stop. If anyone, anyone, even leaders, reserve your pedestal for Jesus. I thank God that it's Pastor's Appreciation Month, so thank you so much for appreciating us and that kind of stuff. You could appreciate us. You could respect us. You could obey us, yes, but do not worship us. Reserve your pedestal for Jesus, because I am still human. But when anyone sins, this is what the Bible says, Galatians 1, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should do what? Should restore that person gently. 
It says, but watch, your, watch yourself so you'll be tempted. But so, 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 you know, stay on the high ground. But it's our job to restore each other gently. I don't want to be known as a perfect church because it doesn't exist. I want to be known as a church that gently restores anyone who walks in through those doors. Two more. Number four, our commitment to raising children in the faith. I believe, I'm old school, I believe it takes a village to raise a child. And this is not just a promotion for kids ministry, but, but I believe it's important now more than ever. They're not going to get it in schools. Some of them, some of them, and for those of you who think like it's just glorified babysitting, sometimes we get kids dropped off here that their parents don't go to church. So think about that. This might be the only Jesus they get. I believe that parents are the primary disciplers of your kids. Don't get it twisted. You hear me? Parents, you're the primary disciplers of your kids. But I'm here to tell you it's the church's responsibility to raise our children in the faith. Ever since the beginning, even in the beginning of the book, Deuteronomy 6 says this, these commandments that I give to you today are, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk uh, along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Deuteronomy, that's in the beginning of our Bible. It says that we are supposed to impart this, impress this into our children. And it takes a village to raise a child. I'm old school. My mom used to give everyone permission to smack me on my head. <laughs> Coaches, teachers, my aunt, anyone. And you know, I'm Puerto Rican, so I had aunts that weren't really aunts, but they were aunts. That's Titi so-and-so. Like, how are we related to Titi so-and-so? She just moved next door. That's it. She gave everyone permission to check me. And I think, man, I just want us to go back to that because our kids need it so much nowadays. So much nowadays. If we're going to be committed to community. And last one, our commitment to serving and using gifts for the church. Our commitment to serving and using gifts for the church. You have gifts. And if you're just keeping it for yourself, I don't think you're honoring the Father and you're not honoring your commitment to this community. Some of you might think, all I have is time. That's a gift. Some of you might be thinking, honestly, all I have is money. That's a gift. And I'm not trying to be cute or funny, but honestly, like, we, we are nowhere near the numbers we used to have before COVID. I'm just putting it out there and just keeping it real with you because, you know, I always keep it real with you. Anyone who's been around, I keep it real with you. We're not there yet, but I believe that the gifts in this house could be leveraged for maximum impact for the kingdom of God. And you're gifted. You're talented. I don't know what it is. Maybe, you know what, maybe you're talented just playing basketball, right? Like, what would it look like to just start a basketball ministry? We have a basketball court. Maybe you're gifted. The, the sky's the limit when it comes to ideas here. I'm willing to do everything short of sin to reach this world for Jesus. Everything. You have gifts. And your commitment to the body means that you have to utilize those gifts for the glory of God. For the glory of God. This is what it means to be committed 
to the church. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Let's thank them for using their gifts.